Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Kay Rodriguez and Kate Harrington Rosen from Praxis Shy. Yay! How are you all doing today? For a Monday, it's pretty good. It is a very good Monday. Like, it's a little warm, um, but, and I always do this, and I always call myself out for it, talking about the weather on the podcast, because oh A, God. the person's listening, it's not the same day, so they don't <laughs> care about the weather, but also, like, it's, like, that cliche of, like, oh, how could you talk about the weather? But, like, how can you not in Chicago? <laughs> I could also talk about, like, how I got here and how the traffic was, or, yeah, like, what horrible. happened on the train, you know, that's another yeah. solid standby that no one wants to talk about. But I also, I actually, there's this one podcast that I listened to for a while that's based in New York that just like a running bit was talking about like commute uh-huh. <laughs> and like a good 30 minutes of just like how to get like because especially in New York there's so many fucking like transits and bullshit <laughs> sorry I know we were talking about was that too much cursing already whatever I'm it's not mad about okay. it okay <laughs> you're good here <laughs> um anyway yeah I, I just find that super interesting anyway I'm want to get into what y'all are about because I uh, the bit that I've learned already about Praxis is really really rad and I'm so thankful to have you all here Um, so for our audience would you mind kind of giving us an instruction to Praxis yeah so definitely still practicing our elevator pitch for Praxis so this is good for me Um, so we are a multiracial queer and trans led team um, and we do work primarily around gender identity and sexual orientation um, with groups of any size and kind of any ilk so really our kind of foundational theory is this idea that when people feel supported um, in bringing their true selves to work in whatever way that looks right so we recognize that identity is really complex and has many different pieces but when people feel like those identities are not only kind of recognized but celebrated in their workplace or in other groups in which they function so in faith-based spaces in school whatever that looks like um, we think people can be more productive can be happier can sort of grow and cultivate new ideas more deeply um, and so we want to help folks do that and do it better wow well and so what are some of the um what are some of the methods that y'all use to facilitate those conversations yeah i want to try and be mindful of not being talking the most yeah but i also feel like as like i think in your role you have a much better way of probably getting into that than i do like jump in if i'm okay (laughs) great great no yeah i trust so i think that we really see like dialogue and conversation as being so central to reaching that goal and so um i'm our director of training and curriculum um and i get to design the trainings that we do um and so they're really uh, the goal of the trainings that i do and of the spaces that we try to create are to make people both hold people accountable um and also i think just like open up space for possibility right so to give people some new information and then like coach them through a conversation with that new information about how do you use this to make your workspace or your faith-based group or your classroom um feel more inclusive and be kind of a a better space for the folks who are in it yeah i so i (laughs) this always happens where i'm like wow this is so thoughtful and like i i don't know where to start so this is where i'm going to start with I, something that we mentioned before we started recording and um, something that I, I think the audience will probably recognize is that the concept of like praxis is something that we've kind of mentioned and talked about a bit and and, and thought about. Um, and I also love, uh, this is an interesting like 
thought that I'm having that I'm not sure if I'm right about. Um, I feel like the way of thinking, the like kind of like leftist theory, theory that like the idea of praxis comes from, could be at odds with the idea of what like, for lack of a better word of putting it, like a brochialist or like a manarchist would potentially call like identity politics. Like that that these kind mm. of spaces can be very like. And I I think that that's, like, an unfair thing that happens, like, a divide of, like, seeing how, like, political theory and um, the, like, identity, like, recognizing how the importance of identity, that that world that we're living in right now. Like, I feel like, for whatever reason, there have have been a lot of conversations where those two things can be at ends. Hmm. Does that make sense? Is that Hmm. something that, and is that something that you've found? Or, you know... So say more about that, because I, I'm thinking about the ways that that shows up in our spaces, but I want to understand more about what you're thinking. Same, yeah. Same. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that um, in a lot of ways, uh, like, it's especially... So the thing that I think is groundbreaking about the work that you're doing is that you're in a space that is... Um, I mean, obviously social work has existed for a long time, but I think that it's very easy to... in political dialogue, and I'm using air quotes for people at home, like, that idea of social work is either mentioned as a as a talking point and then moved away from, or kind of, like, not brought up, and then that political discourse can very easily, like, 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 what I was saying, like, it seems like the idea of identity politics can, at times, be first, like, in practice, can be treated as tokenism, and then, um, also is then, because of that, like easily kind of shuffled off mm-hmm. in in political dialogue mm. um uh but and now i feel like I've, i'm very much talking a lot so i guess <laughs> the, the thing that i i um i'm basically asking is and the thing that i think we've kind of been talking about with unpacking the concept of praxis is that um this bridging the idea of taking theory of taking um, like political theory in both identity and both, you know, social uh, policy um, and applying it in, in real world application is feels to me in, in my limited privileged experience that's something that isn't done enough. Mm. Um, and uh, to hear that y'all are doing this work, which already from what you've, how you've talked about it is finding ways to implement it in meaningful ways mm. that is is doing that work um basically do you feel like the work that you're doing was being done in the same way before um and if it was how so and how is the work that you're doing different um and if not uh how what is new about it mm. i love that question do you want to keep um basically uh (laughs) so how is the so in in social work settings and in in discussions of social work and all that intersect with the political sphere um how is the work that you're doing basically is the work that you're doing groundbreaking and if so how yeah i think it's I don't know, it feels very um, righteous to name anything that I am doing as groundbreaking. I think I take a lot of my cues from a lot of the work that's happening on the ground here in Chicago. 
Um, and I think it's more important to name that there are so many people who have barely been able to make rent who are throw their lives and their resources, very little resources behind improving the city for black and brown queer and trans people. Mm-hmm. Um, and who really just don't have the platform or the resources to have their leadership develop and grow. And that's what I think makes Praxis Group so amazing is that we're just creating opportunities for um, queer and trans people to be able to take their knowledge and their experience and be able to use that to thrive under capitalism. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I think that, <laughs> like, the thing that's really, the reason, the kind of where I'm going with this is that I think that there is a, in political discourse, there is a, a way in which we don't recognize that work being done. And, um, and I, I, I guess it's an interesting thing that I'm trying to verbalize that I feel like we're very much finding ourselves in a moment where, you know, with the, the recent election in, in the Bronx, like with um, Ocasio-Cortez okay. um, being elected, like we're seeing meaningful theoretical conversations. Like Abolish ICE is on her platform. Like seeing him, that, and that was on Fox News in a way that like, you know, I, I saw some retweeted whatever that was like, it's so weird to see all of these right-wing pundits like take something that they've been calling you know Obama and Clinton communists forever and so to see actual like socialist policy like they don't know what to call that and I feel like to when living in this world where we're seeing meaningful like like not capitalist policy being enacted it's it's a it's a dual wielded thing where it's amazing to see it being called that and being effective because it's not been a part of the political discourse for so long, mm. but it's also not been a part of... Like, it's been happening, but not been a part of the conversation for so long. And I, that, to me, is a... It's... To, the question that I ultimately want to ask is, like, how does it feel being in a position where, you know, both it's starting... The work that is being done is starting to be recognized. Like, like it, that's... <laughs> the the place that you find yourself is exactly how you're putting it like the work has been being has been being done does that make sense Mm -hmm. but um but has been kind of you know like in different neighborhoods throughout chicago this kind like rent control organization in pilsen for example like had that organization has been happening for years like the people that have been working at working and organizing politically here in chicago have been doing it forever but you know, we actually see across media, like mainstream media platforms more now people talking about rent control when that vote mm-hmm. goes through, you know, talking about, um, you know, and so I guess that's the, the uh, like the second up follow up to that question is like, how does it feel to be doing this work in this political moment? I think I just wanted to add, so I really appreciated the kind of the framing that Kay offered. And I think when I think about that in our context, I think about how queer and trans people have been doing this work for free and to their detriment in their work and community spaces forever, mm-hmm. right? Um, of And the work is, right, like teaching people how to engage with you respectfully, right? Mm-hmm. Like at its yeah. core, that's kind of what we're trying to do. Um, and queer and trans people have absolutely, like not to mention folks of other identities, been doing that work, getting fired for it, getting demoted for it, right? Experiencing hostile work environments. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I think I also just like happening, yes, in these like kind of larger, like more organized movements, but also happening like day to day in these very like in these kind of one on one interactions in workspaces, in faith based spaces, in schools. Um, And so I think that there's this weird thing that I feel and I won't speak for praxis in general, but for myself of like formalizing that uh, that work, which needs to happen. Right. Um, But also involves an intense amount of um, code switching is not quite the right word for what I'm thinking, but it it involves kind of like mainstreamizing this work that has been done in a grassroots way, both in the way that you're speaking of with like community organizing, as well as like in these one-on-one moments. Um, And we have to do that to kind of get in the door. But then I, I think also we sometimes end up like not acknowledging the work that's been done, right? Or not kind of being as intentional about bringing that into the space as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm finding myself more and more drawn to discussing the concept of bringing this work into faith, hmm. faith-based spaces, just because I think that, in general, there's this idea that faith-based spaces are toxic and have like, to be and, and exactly and have to be regressive and and um, those exist. Those spaces do exist. Absolutely, no question. But there are there are exceptions. There are more open. There are more accepting spaces. And I think that would you mind talking, speaking a little bit to the work that you would that y'all are doing in those faith based spaces? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think right, especially those of us with like particularly left leaning um, <laughs> politics do tend to speak about faith based faith-based spaces as though they are inherently regressive Mm -hmm. when what we know historically is that they also have been the sites of such radicalism as Mm -hmm. well and we like really are quick to gloss over that um which is real and i know that there's a lot of trauma in the regression of those spaces for a lot of folks as well but both and um i think what we have seen is is faith-based spaces coming to us and being willing to be so vulnerable about this, right? It's really, it's like ultimately an incredibly vulnerable thing to ask for help, which is what we ask people to do in giving us a call, right? When people come to us, it's because like something has gone wrong or they've been called out or there was some kind of explosion um, and they need help fixing it and like moving towards a sustainable solution. And I think I've seen from the faith-based spaces that have reached out to us, this willingness to like, be so deeply in that and be so like dedicated to the vulnerability of that and really like have this understanding of how transformative vulnerability can be. So coming to us and saying like, you know, we treated this member of our community really poorly in like these five ways. And like, here's the feedback that we've gotten and like, here's what we want to do, which is very different from people kind of coming to us and saying like, you know, we know that it's illegal to like mispronoun someone. So can you do a training? Right. Like it's just it's like this compliance angle, which also is fine. Like I want to be super clear if you're trying to like be compliant, we can also help you. Um, but, <laughs> we can I, really help you. <laughs> but I think that feels really different than when people are coming to us and saying, like, we want to make kind of a culture shift because it's about this is like based in our values. And we recognize this as a moment where we can can meaningfully grow and change. Um, and I see the faith based groups that we've worked with as kind of leading the charge in that way. Um yeah, I would hope so because you would because the intention behind a faith-based environment 
is the betterment of the lives of the people involved. Mm-hmm. Like, at the end of the day, that's all those spaces are trying to do. And so it, would, it, it does make sense to me that they would, that they would approach this kind of opportunity, because I, I think it's an opportunity, um, approach this kind of opportunity with that openness. And I, I, I think that's so... I think it's very powerful, and I think it's very important. How many, like... I'm I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because I'm curious how long have y'all been around? I want it. Can I go back to one thing that you yes, said before that please. too? I I love your framing of this as an opportunity, and I think that I feel it. It feels very different to me when we go into a space to do a training. Like I can kind of suss out within the first five minutes if the folks in the room feel like it's an opportunity or if they feel like it's like a checkbox or like a thing that they have to get through and kind of move on from. And and I do think that when when people don't in that moment feel like it's an opportunity, it's kind of our job to help them see it in mm-hmm. that way. Um, but to your other question, how long have we been around? It's we've been around as praxis for maybe three months. Yeah. Oh yeah. We are yeah, fresh. We're, we're little babies well, as a business. Yes. Um, but you know, Kate and Jess have been working closely and doing trans one-on-ones with each other for a while. Yeah, like um, three-ish years. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, we've been here doing the work for a minute, and so Praxis Group has really been a culmination of a lot of a lot of momentum that's, you know, come before it. Well, yeah, let me, um, let's, let's unpack that a little more. I'd love to kind of know better, because I know we really jumped into the deep end of this conversation, which I love, and thank you so much for kind of, like, come, like, being there for that. Um, but I also really want to kind of, um, unpack this, especially with it being a three-month-old project. So what, you know, you, you mentioned, um, having, uh, extensive background in, in this work. Um, at what point were you, like, this needs to, I'm trying to think of how to word this, like, needs to be an entity of its own. So some of that for me, and this is a conversation that we have internally a lot, is about, you know, how do we effectively and meaningfully value the labor of queer and trans people, right, that's happening and that, like, we've been doing, right? So maybe Jess and I, who's another another person who we, we run Praxis with, like, maybe we've been doing these trainings sort of formally for three years, but also, like, every single day we are doing this work, as is Kay, as are the other facilitators that we work with. So I think some of it, for me, at least personally, was this, like, coming to consciousness around, like, I'm going to be doing this labor anyways, um, and I know, like, my day job is going to be trying to like get me to do this labor even though it's not on my job in my job description so how can i like value my time and my community's time and also like take pride in that knowledge and and really like i don't know talk effectively about the value of that knowledge yeah yeah and um I know that Jess and Kate have really been in conversation about that, and then I was kind of brought in, and I think that I really appreciated um, the kind of formalizing, businessizing, that's not a word, but, you know, really kind of coalescing into a stronger structure because, one, that, I mean, that allows other people to support us. That allows me to come into the picture and talk about, like, what are our dynamics? What are our long-term goals? Mm-hmm. Um, and that allows us to, you know, really get to engage with larger businesses, organizations who are looking for something on a larger scale. Um, and then also, you know, doing that work allows us to create opportunities for smaller businesses, too, um, mm-hmm. and really to be able to 
give back because you know we need to encourage entrepreneurship among working class communities among the like there are a lot of black and brown businesses that are struggling in chicago mm-hmm. and we don't want i want those businesses to be able to thrive with queer and trans employees i want them to be able to grow with that and i know that you know with those businesses it's going to be harder to contract someone you can barely pay who you're who you're employing so we really i really want us to have an all-encompassing vision of what it's like to help businesses and organizations prosper. I, I love that. That's something that, you know, um, in our existence, we've thought a lot about, um, you know, because when you when you look at being like, okay, because our, our main thing is is finding people that, that make things. And, you know, we talk to a lot of different people. It's not just people that, like, make a craft or something. Not that there's not people that make crafts. Very, a lot of people are very serious. What I'm saying, I don't think that we've ever talked to a crafter. No, if you're a crafter, <laughs> please reach out. Let's, let's talk to some crafts people. Um, but um, this idea of affecting meaningful practices on a small business scale, using like in this, the reality is like we live in a world that, in a lot of ways, if we're going to see meaningful change, like tapping into entrepreneurship is something that we like needs to be considered and um considered not not a like it doesn't have to be that way but um but you know it's it's an interesting uh exercise right where you're kind of like using the methods of the opposite of do you know what i mean like like in some ways like that's very like especially for people that are like oh like the way that capitalism is running in our society it's not working but then to turn around and go like well if if we're if we want to see it dismantled like trying to find ways to do it so intensely meaningfully um yeah i mean is that something that you've like thought about and um uh you know what how in what ways do you like in what moments do you find like comfort and and less guilt about it i guess let's say is that a weird question to ask about engaging with capitalism yeah (laughs) yeah i think that it is i think to disengage with capitalism is literally impossible because we are living under capitalism so i i think it's kind of um, a little misguided to think that you can just pull away mm-hmm. um, because everything that you buy and everything that you do is still tied into that and you can't really avoid that. So the big question is how can we move through these systems, the economy, how can we do that as best as we can? How can we pour our resources into black and brown run businesses, to cooperatives, Korean trans-led businesses? Um, how can what can we do in our community to help each other survive? Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, because of the system that we live in, that's a lot of that is done through capital, not exclusively. Um, I can offer you the eggs I have left. You can offer me the haircut I need to get a job. Um, but it's it's a fact of how we live in the world. So it's really about making the most ethical choices based on the options we're given. Um, and anything that we do has to. Um, kind of just like go within that compass. There's no way around it. Yeah, and I, I would add to that too. I think about like disrupting capital as well. I think about the number of like harmful diversity quote unquote trainings that I've sat through um, and the number of people who I see doing what they are calling like equity and inclusion work in a way that does not have um, 
like a radical framework and is not actually truly inclusive. Um, and I think about disrupting capital away from those folks who I, I don't frankly think should be allowed to do work in that way. Um, and sort of towards, I, I really trust the work that we're doing and I trust us to be like sort of modeling, modeling the vulnerability that we ask other people for too, right? And like being willing to be learners alongside folks, um, being willing to be wrong, being really committed to, to doing this work radically. I think that that's, I think that it's important, like the idea of working to improve capitalism. Like if, if, you know, we can't, if we can't dismantle the money driven system that we are currently living under, I think it's important that we work toward making the people behind those money making machines better people. And I think that that's like, I think that the work that y'all are doing, it sounds like you're working toward just that which is really cool. I don't know, I just wanted to say that. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> well, I, um... Oh, I just lost it. Uh, I'm still going to find it, though. Um, what I think is really important to this conversation is the idea of, you know, it's something that we've talked about a lot in the last... Um, year uh, as we've kind of unpacked certain things but this idea of burden of education is something that I really want to bring up with y'all because um, you know in so many ways like what what we're talking about is um, making sure to put into meaningful um, administrative and and, um, educational roles people that are directly affected by the things that they're that they're working towards and I think that you know um it's this very it's this conversation that is can't that seems like for whatever reason can be hard to have between allies and people affected is like how to meaningfully implement change within within these things and and how to meaningfully educate you know like the way that you um speak about like the impossibilities of of the systems that we find ourselves in is like is so powerful because you know recognize like all but like as you were talking about i was just thinking like so frequently when these conversations are had the communities affected are not invited to the table but you also don't want to like force like you see what i'm saying like is this a this balance like is that something that you've that you've had to find at all or do you find mm. that people are more like energized to actively work towards do you know what i mean like is what how's that balance yeah i mean i think about what that looks like as a facilitator in a space right and so wanting to be Um, As a facilitator, it's my job to like drive the conversation and my job to do the emotional labor that needs to be done in that space. That doesn't mean that I'm the only expert in that space, right? And it doesn't mean that it's not my job to create space for the folks who like share those identities in that space to also be sharing their experience at the level that they want to share it or not. Um, So I think think some of our, it's our job to like do the heavy lifting which also then I think creates space for people to to share in a way that is a little bit safer than when somebody has just like mispronounced you for the 50th time that day and you're like, <sighs> yeah. yeah, right? I think it looks really different in the context of a conversation about like why it's important to respect people's pronouns to say like, hey, this is ex- an experience that I've had rather than in the moment. Right, and I think that like when you're the only person who doesn't use the you know she or her or he or him or 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 a trans person who um you know people just don't comprehend 
your why you have these pronouns versus the way that you identify or express yourself and you're the, you're the only person in the room um it's i think it's a pretty traumatic experience for a lot of people to be able to be like i am naming what's wrong i now have to defend myself or else these people see my concern as entirely invalid and mm-hmm. i think way too many people experience that mm-hmm. and so we need to move past you know you know, if you don't understand, we can still move forward in sorting out, like, why this is wrong, and we shouldn't use that, um, the fact that someone is unable to explain why are they, why they are deserving of respect as a reason to not kind of move forward and give the, that person the resources and support they need to be able to be in a safe and supporting workplace. Mm-hmm. That is remarkable. I, the thing that I, I'm kind of thinking about is this idea that like what it seems like this is really doing is is finding ways to build a frame of reference rather than... Because I think that in a lot of ways, these the way that these conversations can ha- happen is that um, you have a representative of a community and then they're kind of like the token. And then I feel like because of that they're... then it's easier to just be like, oh that's a, I don't know a weird thing or that's mm-hmm. a thing I don't understand so it doesn't matter. And But I, I think that like being able to not just because it's like you know the idea of what we're talking about with like what praxis actually means is like it's one thing to verbalize like oh this is what this is what this can act like this what can actively look like but to build structures you know that's that's one of the reasons why i was so interested in what what brought you to building structure because that is like i mean it's in the name you know like the, the that is actively building frame of reference is actively built like it's it's actively making real theory and and i that i think is is um is super interesting and um not relevant to the question that i had but so before we i kind of like move to another topic (laughs) Uh is there any other thoughts that you have on that so that well yeah i mean that i mean it really goes back to what we are about as praxis group we don't want to help you mediate out this solution and then the next time it happens, you don't know what you're going to do except call us again. We want to be able to create um, cultures and values and really have you re- return back to, you know, what are you doing in your organization? What are you doing in your group? What do you care about? As opposed to saying this is a person who deserves respect. This is a person who deserves respect. And all people who are queer and trans who are in the margins deserve the same level of respect and treatment across the board. And so if you come across a person who you just don't know how to deal with, you need to be able to return to those values and reflect on what you need to do in order to make the appropriate accommodations for that person in your space and to be able to address them reasonably, friendly, respectfully. Mm -hmm. What I was also thinking about as you were talking about frame of reference is I think that when we start to get into these spaces where whether we're using this language or not, people are talking about diversity and inclusion, people are thinking like policy, people are thinking like do we have an affinity group, right? People are thinking these like very sort of macro level changes and what what I want to be able to do and what I want Praxis to be able to do in those moments is to say like, can we shift your frame of reference so that that conversation is also about like when you fuck up this person's pronouns, like handling that correctly, right? right. It's also about these like really small interactions that we do like, are tangible and are changeable on an individual level um, and start to take it kind of down from the rafters because in the rafters people are able to be like it's just so like and that's real I feel that way too like it's just so overwhelming it's just so big like yes and it's also happening like every day in these small moments and if we shift our frame of reference a little bit I think we feel more empowered to engage with the values that we are espousing for example 
Exactly. Absolutely. And I, the thing that, you know, is another kind of thing that we've, that I don't think we've talked about a bunch now because we've met so many thoughtful people, but like one of the things that kind of we, we come from the arts and one of the things that we've kind of taken to task with about the way that we talk about, uh, the way that, um, you know, especially like we come from opera. So it's the the foray into these conversations is like, oh, we should make sure that we're implementing any kind of accessibility. And that like this idea of like, it's so easy for, for traditional institutions to latch onto things that are ultimately buzzwords and not unpack them and, and say like, oh, well, you know, we hired this person and they count our, our diversity quotient. And so that's, that's mm-hmm. what And that's very is. glamorous too, right? right? We got this big name or we launched this big initiative, just mm-hmm. like using the right pronouns for someone, right? Or making sure you have a gender neutral restroom available. You don't get props for that, right? Mm-hmm. You're probably not putting that on your social media. And yet that's actually going to change someone's experience of being in your space exactly Mm -hmm. it's like you know we're coming out of pride month how many businesses are taking down their pride flags you know their pride posts are in the history Mm -hmm. and you could walk into those same restaurants you can be an employee at those places and still you know not get the level of treatment that you know should be represented by the pride flag right so what is that like you want my aunt you want my you want me as a consumer you want you you want you know us as constituents but do you know how to deal with us as people who are you know worthy of respect as opposed to like a marketing tactic yeah yeah i'm wondering how your work um i'm wondering what makes chicago a great place for this type of work to be done you know as opposed you know we talk with a lot of artists about you know we, we talk with a lot of artists about kind of what what's keeping them in Chicago as opposed to uprooting and going to a coast, whatever mm-hmm. coast that is. And um, with kind of social and humanitarian initiatives, you know, obviously the place that you start is the place that you're staying because you're trying to improve that community. And I'm wondering what about the city we're in is, is you know, makes your work... The way that it is. The way that it is. Because I'm here and I like it. (laughs) Um, I mean, for me, it's it's really that I've come into... to live in, a, I actually have a theater degree, which is cool. Funny oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I came here for school. Um, you talk about that sometime. <laughs> yeah, I don't really do theater anymore, but it was a big reason why I came here and why um, I don't know. I see stories in you know right. every facet of white life and even work in practice group. But I came here for you know not a particular person than to get my degree and get out. And what you can really easily find in Chicago is a thriving, bustling, queer and trans community on the north side, on the south side, on the west side, um, really anywhere that we're living. Um, And so it's a really incredible place to build connections. Um, There's really incredible um, leadership here. I know we were just talking about Brave Space Alliance, another great organization who's really doing the work for um, trans people in Chicago. Um, And it's really hard to not look around here and to see all of the incredible leaders, all the people have been able to do with very little resources and to not, you know, to not tell myself that I don't love Chicago. I love Chicago yeah. so much. I don't love the mayor, but I love Chicago so much. <laughs> and so those are different things. Shout out Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, any place is a great place to do work too. 
um, uplift and support queer and trans people. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Your face. (laughs) I was, uh, the only thing that I was going to add to that is that I think for me, Chicago is also where I started like doing vulnerable work on myself and like around my politics. Um, And so I feel like where else could I possibly do the work of trying to encourage others to engage in that way um, than in the space where I started to do that and surrounded by the folks who taught me to do that. Shout out to Brave Space Alliance, right? Like shout out to all of the folks doing that work around me and like teaching me to do it better and to hold myself to a higher standard. I feel like we need to be so deeply rooted in that in order to do this effectively. And yeah, I can't imagine like picking up and trying to do that just in some new random city where I don't have those folks on the ground holding me down. Well, and I, oh. No, go ahead. The thing that I, I really find remarkable about Chicago, um, and this isn't leading to a question, but it might, um, <laughs> is that uh, I, the thing if that If it I, doesn't, I have one. Yeah, <laughs> the thing that I, I'm really intrigued by and... Um, I actually don't know where this is leading to a question. Um, uh, not a, a long one, though. Um, the thing that's really interesting to me is that the idea of local organizing is very true here and very active here, and I, I, I don't entirely understand. Did you know that City of Chicago won reparation for Birch Torch Tor- 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 survivors? Yeah, that's a yeah. historic human rights victory in Chicago. I think yeah. it was in 2015. That like any person who has been tortured under Don Budbridge or any family member um, has entitlement to a certain level of services. It's codified. It's a city ordinance. Like there is incredible history of wins here in Chicago, mm-hmm. and every time I learn about one of them, it's even even more exciting. Well, and as the federal government keeps getting worse and worse, I just keep going like we can do amazing things at the local level. Like there are definitely ways to do it. And you know, we were talking to um, your brother about uh, he lives in New York and was visiting and we were talking about a lot of different stuff one of the things we were talking about was you know i was because i because i'm originally from long island and i don't have a ton of we have a lot of friends that that are from new york and um you know uh but from my understanding and if anyone's listening please correct me if i'm wrong they don't have wards they don't have aldermen you know like they have a city council but it's made up of the of borough presidents meaning that for like eight million people they have five local representatives and and to think to compare that to Chicago, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, like I I don't I want it now. I know I'm gonna actually Google this because this is yeah. this is like a thought that I've been having today and yesterday. So please let's talk more about this because. But the thing with Chicago is like you're looking at like two three million people and like fifty wards and you know people talk all the time about what what politics in Chicago can look like but what a long time ago Chicago decided that local representation needed to look like that and I don't I I'm I implore and want to explore more how many other cities think about this this way because what I'm finding is or what I'm as I'm thinking about this what I'm realizing is that it affects the way that so many people build structures and the way that so many people organize and the we're I find I feel that we're just starting to recognize it because the federal government is so shit that it's like how can we make sure to save and protect the liberties that we so need and and so value and you know 
like you're, you see it all the time with like states enacting protections against the overturn of Roe v. Wade, and it's like there are ways to do these things locally. And seeing and and I I, I the reason that I'm bringing this up now is because it feels very relevant to the way that you t- you talk about like it not just being um, macro level kind of gestures, but actually unpacking these like you know what are ultimately microaggressions and like smaller transactions that are a problem but recognizing that and, and pointing that out i think is super meaningful i didn't i lost the actual the question that was related to this <laughs> all right well cool um <laughs> i'm uh i'm curious um for you kate um what could you talk you you mentioned that you started in this type of work three years ago with trans 101 um seminars or classes or discussions and i'm wondering if you could talk more about that just because that in itself is like um like an amazing tool and and an amazing offering yeah so prior to my work with praxis and prior to my day job that I have now. Um, I worked for a nonprofit here in Chicago um, that has a number of trans-specific services, and I was specifically working um, in a workforce development program with trans and gender nonconforming adults. And so the kind of theory behind the work that we did there um, was that you cannot kind of make micro level change without making macro level change, mm-hmm. right? So if you're do you can get trans and gender nonconforming people as ready as possible to get into the workforce. And that doesn't change the fact that um, there are these <laughs> both codified and not barriers to trans and gender nonconforming folks getting and keeping jobs, right? In the form of discrimination, in the form of shitty policy. Um, so wanting to both do that kind of one-on-one work with folks of job preparation and support and case management while also providing services to employers so that we were once people were prepared to work they could theoretically be placed in a space that was going to be ready to support and respect them kind of across the board as an employee um you know, I think that sounds the the goal of that program was really phenomenal. Um, I think again and again we came up against folks. Trans one on ones are great, and they are not enough to create a workplace that is sustainably respectful to queer and trans people, right? Or to trans and gender nonconforming people. Trans one trans one ones are great, but they don't give people the tools that they need to change their policies, make sure they have trans inclusive health care, check out what their bathroom situation is, you know, train their frontline employees to um, not kind of automatically gender folks when they walk up to the cash register um it's a start but it's not it's not all of the work exactly exactly (laughs) um and i think that's part of what feels so exciting with praxis is starting to build these sort of longer and deeper relationships with our clients so that maybe we start with a trans 101 but where do we sort of already commit to going once we once we get that trans 101 scheduled right so recognizing from the jump this is a starting place I think that the idea of when when you specifically mentioned like you know not immediately gendering people when they walk up to the cash register like I've been working in food service for 10 years and the shift I've seen in the last two you know I went imme- like the the training that that you go through in about like courtesy when you're working at a cash register like you know 18-year-old Maureen was told sir or Mm ma'am 
And what that has changed to is, hey, folks, mm-hmm. which is like, which is amazing. Like that's that is a monumental shift. That's like an entire that's an entire industry shifting its vernacular, which is incredible and just speaks to like all the all the work that is being done by those, you know, you know, emotionally exhausted folks in those positions. And like, so, yeah, like that. I agree that, like, a one-on-one is, like, novel. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I agree. Not not enough. Yeah, I love <laughs> hearing you talk about that, like, talking about the service industry generally sort of making that shift. And I think about, like, if something that is as decentralized and sort of amorphous as the service industry yeah. can be doing that, right? Like, come on, folks. Come on, like, yeah. right. super centralized corporate settings, right? How can we disseminate this information? Well, and I, I think this kind of really ties into, I, I remembered my question, which is, um, <laughs> this happens Let's sometimes. hear it. Um, <laughs> which is, I, I uh, you, one of the things that you've mentioned before is this idea of helping businesses be compliant. And, and what that really says to me is this idea of, of guidelines. And, you know, you talk about this idea of decentralized structures, and, and that's something that I like deeply resonate with is like, organizing it and building. And so what I'm what I'm curious for y'all is um, kind of how do you find successful uh, uh, practice? What am I trying to say? How do you find successful Work in making guidelines from spaces that are kind of decentralized and like because that because that kind of feels like it might be difficult like figuring out how to like where do you get your guidelines from and and how do you uh, like you know mentioning that like this is there's one hundred one but then like kind of as you're getting into these kind of more advanced I guess uh, thoughts. Can you can you ask that question in another way? Yeah. Uh, um, Are you asking how they develop their curriculum? Yes. How do you develop your curriculum? Jump in. I feel like I'm talking a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that in terms of... So the last five years in mainstream, like, LGBT media history, you know, has shifted so much in terms of, like, who is who is more visible now? Who has experiencing less erasure? Um, who gets to exist? And so I think that there's been so many great strides for non-binary and gender non-conforming people um, in terms of you know really pushing forward. You know you can't assume people's gender by looking at them. You need to provide you know gender neutral restrooms and really giving. And that's really just you know the amount of community work here in Chicago and the amount of knowledge here that doesn't live in books is such an important piece of what shapes how we educate people. Um, and that's something that I just really wanted to say before Kate blows you away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in, yeah, I think, I think I'm think i hearing your question about how we create cur- curriculum and what I'm hearing a little bit from you is, like, how do we think about the specific, like, location and space in which we're doing the work and make make what we create for them relevant to what they're doing is that mm-hmm. is that a little am i putting Absolutely. that out correctly yeah I, the it's a i'm having a hard time verbalizing that this for the same reason why i'm asking the question mm-hmm. which is um you know uh how do you make because 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 it sounds it's, so like how do how do you how do you adapt it yeah for different settings yeah i think that that's something that we're learning a lot about and and 
what I know best how to do is to ask questions, right? Um, So I'm not embedded every day in the space that I just went into to do a three hour training, right? I can, I can like kind of gauge the vibe. I can see what the level of conversation is, but the folks who are there every day are the folks who can tell me like what is needed and what's going to work. Um, so I think a lot of the work I'm trying to do right now is like learning how to ask the right questions in those moments about, you know, there's kind of a couple different lanes there, right? There's like the values questions, there's the practical questions, um, there's questions about like what's been done in the past, um, where do y'all see yourself? Um, It's a lot of like taking cues, I think, from the folks that we work with. Um, And again, I think, I know I keep coming back to vulnerability, but I I see that as so crucial to what we do and being willing to go in and say, like, to go in and ask questions and not come in and say like, we know how to do this better than y'all right. is a crucial part of the way that we do our work, right? We, I can't tell you like, you know, Whole Foods looks different from Walgreens looks different from, you know, the theological seminary looks different from this small school, right? They are gonna be able to tell me what their needs are and then we can work together to figure out like a workable solution. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and cause I, I think that um, a glossing over way to that people can talk about these ideas, you know, like I, the probably the um, superficial way of thinking about this is like when people were talking about like when Starbucks completely fucked up and <laughs> that's that that Starbucks where um, oh I'm forgetting the entire details of that it's, story, but oh, you know the, the Philadelphia one, yeah. And the the critique was you can't fix these problems in an afternoon mm-hmm. because with implicit bias training, which has been debunked so right. many times, yeah. Yeah, and I, I you know, um, and I, but what I what I think that is so interesting is that is like when we're talking about like building. Uh, manifested structures and things that are that are like tangible it's so easy to want to make these hard and fast rules that are uh, too simple or you know and so I guess um, is that something that I mean do you have you found yourself wanting to <laughs> like like as you're finding because this is and this is exactly the struggle I'm having with asking this question is like how do you balance making something too simple and making something comprehensive enough to where you're able to make it flexible? That's a great question. Yeah. I think, right, the longer that we do the work, the more kind of tricks we have in our tool bag. Right. Um, And so, you know, I don't... There are concrete things that folks can do, right? You can have really solid policies. Um, you can have onboarding that includes training people about how to like respectfully engage with their coworkers, right? There are these very concrete steps that folks can take on this macro level. Um, but I think just continually encouraging people to complicate it, right? Like, yes, we're so excited that you want to do that and create this policy change. Like, what are you doing to think kind of proactively about when you're onboarding this new person, right? Mm-hmm. What are you doing to think about, um, you know, the fact that your building code says you can't change your gendered restrooms and how you're having those conversations? Um, I think just like trying to help people keep it messy, I see is like a lot of our work, right? Like, yeah, yes and, always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we totally, we only have a few minutes left. Cool. Okay. Um, Cool. So the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Um, 
sometimes it's very obvious, like letting people know about any upcoming events or anything like that, or where they can find out more about you. Uh, but we also love hearing about uh, any media that you are, any shout outs you have to other folks that are doing dope work, um, or any media that you're consuming, self care or otherwise, movies, TV shows, books, movies, stuff like that. So I love that. Um, so. Really quick, our website is praxisshy, P-R-A-X-I-S-C-H-I.com. Um, you can contact us. You can learn more about the trainings that we do through our website, learn more about our facilitators and our founding team. Uh, we have two exciting events coming up. Next week on the 17th, we will be at Queer Tech Club, which is hosted at Climate Corporation. Um, that's an open event for queer and trans folks in tech, in tech-adjacent fields. Um, we'll be there just kind of doing a quick shout-out about the work that we do, but also just excited to build community so we encourage anybody who wants to attend to attend um, we'll have some more info about that on our social media shortly um, and then on the 22nd which is a Sunday we will be at um, Peach Party's Earth event at the Emil Bach House in Rogers Park doing a workshop on envisioning your queerest workspace um, and helping folks to kind of think about and plan about what being their queerest self at work might look like yeah, and um, there is currently a trans and GNC artist call for work uh, for an August showcase at the Andersonville Galleria. Um, so you can submit your work to um, the Chicago Therapy Collective, um, who's co- who's collaborating with the Galleria. Their email is Chicago Therapy Collective. Excuse me, Trans Art. T-R-A-N-S art at chicagotherapycollective.org email your bio artist statement and portfolio that's awesome cool well thank you all so much for listening I've been Daniel Johansson I continue to be Maureen Smith if you want to keep up with what we are up to there are so many ways you can do that the first is to head over to our website, scopymag.com. We spell that S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G.com. Uh, you can also keep up with us on uh, social media, on Facebook. We have a Facebook page called Scopy Magazine. Um, we also have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sounding Board. If you have a hard time finding it, uh, either reach out to me or Maureen personally or the Facebook page, and we'll, get, we'll help you find it. Um, otherwise, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Scopy Mag. And you can also find the podcast, the one you're listening to right now, Scopy Radio and those in most of those podcast places um under scopy radio i also want to mention and i'm uh extending this to um praxis is um i highly recommend on your social media platforms to find these groups that you align with and that you want to support in a meaningful way on social media and click those get all notifications or put first in feed or whatever it is for any given platform because that's how that's a meaningful thing a lot of especially meaningful progressive and and, um socialist work is is undertoned in the in these platforms so making sure that you are getting these notifications first on social media is super helpful Speaking of notifications, I'm here to talk about subscribing. If you head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our subscribe page, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to sign up for email notifications that will let you know every time we post something on the site. This is huge because although we post across social media platforms, we get buried in the algorithm. So uh, if you want to see 100% of what we're doing and not just 30% of it, I recommend signing up for those email blasts. The other thing that you can do is become a member. For as little as $5 a month, you can, suppel- you can help us build up 
our infrastructure, which is huge. Um, if you're interested in advertising opportunities, you can email us at scuppymag at gmail.com. So give a little, give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. <laughs> Good Lord. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep. <laughs>